it's time to check in with our financial wellness on today's show. Welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 326, and I have a wonderful guest for you today, one of my favorite people, my ex-accountant and financial planner, Melissa Brown. Uh, She is a wealth of information when it comes to money, and everybody has different values around money, but everyone can become more financially well, just as we can with our physical health. And so today we're unpacking some of the chief ways that we can do that. Everything from identifying money stories and subconscious and conscious aspects to bad stories that we need to change, what bad versus good debt is, and Mel takes us through the priority list of what to pay down, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable when debt is actually good, Uh, investing versus saving, uh, budgets and how she doesn't believe they work, and so much more. So I'm going to hook into that conversation in just a little minute. But for now, let me let you know that we have two wonderful brands and companies supporting the podcast this month. The first being Oz Climate. Our major sponsor this year is giving you 10% off with the code LOWTOXLIFE. This one's for the Aussies, and that is a code that gets you 10% off all of their Winix air purifiers and dehumidifiers. Now, I talk about both of these types of appliances very often on the show, but also on Insta because we have a lot of situations where we might need one, the other, or both. And I actually just got asked just the other day, if I have an air filter, is that going to be enough? Why would I need a dehumidifier as well? And of course, it really is situational and what you are wanting to achieve. So if what you're wanting to achieve is clean air and you don't have humidity problems and it's more for you about living in a very urban setting where there's a lot of pollution or an agricultural setting where you know there's pesticide and herbicide being used near you, these are situations where, of course, an air purifier would be your chief reason to go with either or. Also, if you've moved somewhere new and you are wanting to mitigate VOC exposure, so the things that off-gas in new materials, in new builds and new renovations, air filter for sure. But if you then have 60% or more indoor air humidity on a regular basis, you're giving opportunity for mold to grow. And that is when you would also need to bring in a dehumidifier. An air filter cannot reduce the moisture in your home. So hopefully that helps you with the distinction between both of those and when you need to bring the dehumidifier in. Remembering, of course, that if you use a dryer that's not a condenser dryer, if your air conditioning system doesn't have a dehumidification function 
or if you have a, a family where everybody has their showers back to back and then the the bathroom feels really wet and kind of swampy for a few hours afterwards, those are situations that regardless of the humidity being low in other parts of the house, you might want to look at getting one of the more compact units for those areas. I hope that helps. Our second sponsor is Primal Alternative, and I'm so excited to have this wonderful business back on the show to highlight because it's one of my favorites. And I often talk about you not having to do everything. And by the way, this is a global concept. So everyone can tune in for this one uh, when it comes to scratch cooking from home. So let's just say you have kids or let's just say you or your partner have special needs in your diet uh, or special needs in terms of a physical disability and getting everything done and cooking for all the different diets or cooking if you're in pain or unable uh, or uh, just having a really busy week at work and really not wanting to prepare your own breads, bickies, flatbreads. Uh, you really fancy a pizza, but you couldn't be bothered making the base, so you get the super high carbs, super starchy, super processed uh, takeaway option. No judgment, by the way. Uh, but if you really would prefer to have the best of everything but not make it all yourself all the time, This is where Primal Alternative comes in. And my favorite thing about this is it's actually a network of bakers. It's not a network marketing business. It's a licensing business. So you buy the Primalista license and Helen Marshall, the founder and chief Primalista extraordinaire, uh, has all of the recipes, all of the ingredients, all of the uh, labels, the packaging, everything for this amazing range of uh, allergy-friendly, grain-free friendly, uh, special needs and diets friendly baked goods uh, to help you help not only yourself, but your community around you. And so the Primalista license is basically for people who want a flexible way to work. For me, it's just that perfect business. If you absolutely love cooking, you do it for free uh, and you love sharing delicious food with other people. Your kids are maybe grown up to a point where you've got a few more hours in your time, a bit more headspace. And you want to do something for yourself. You want to grow something uh, and you want to contribute to the overall household income. So it's a really fantastic business that you can take as big or small as you want to. And it's all created and ready for you to just jump in and get started. Uh, Helen's community of Primalistas are there to support each other constantly. And it's, uh, for me, one of my favorite uh, recipe Um conceptions in terms of an idea that someone has put out there. So if you want a successful business doing something you love, I would absolutely check out the Primal Alternative licensing model as a potential way to go for you. And Helen has actually put together a discovery uh, ebook for us. Uh, so note this down. It's uh, training.primalalternative.com forward slash discovery. And you can download that, take a look. uh, And she's actually giving away three one-to-one Primalista mentoring sessions 
uh, with herself and those are worth $660 each. Uh, so, uh, if you're someone who needs a little bit of additional support on top of the amazing support that you're given when you get started, Helen can literally workshop your unique situation location with you, uh, which is just extremely generous. So head to that, uh, training.primalalternative.com forward slash discovery and take a look. Now, speaking of earning money, making money and, and uh, doing things we love. Let's talk money with the wonderful Melissa Brown. Uh, and I'm going to preface this conversation by saying you have to follow her on Instagram. Her information is incredible. She's so generous, often putting on free seminars, webinars, has her amazing financial adulting course that she runs a few times a year uh, that I've put in the show notes for you as well. Uh, it's a fantastic program that I recommend everybody do. So enjoy this chat and uh, I can't wait to hear what you think. Hello, Mel. How are you? Hey, I'm well. How are you? I am excellent. And as we record this, it's a 38 degree day. And as anyone <laughs> knows who's a podcaster, you have to switch off all of your air conditioning fans and anything that makes any I'm kind of noise. Sweating. So we may be schwitzing, but <laughs> we will certainly be sorting out finances during this chat. And I've had you on a couple of times ago, Mel, a couple of times already, and I was looking at when our last chat was, and it mm. was when you released Unblip Your Finances, and we talked about money stories. So yep. I actually wanted to do a bit of talking about that today yeah, as well. Um, but before we do, mm. I want to talk about the concept of financial wellness because yeah. the reason I love having you back is because for me, when we think low tox, it's not just like actual ingredients in products. It's yeah. it's a it's a lifestyle that uh, um, means we don't feel uh, burdened by stress uh, in unnatural ways. And finance can be such a source for stress and uh, financial burden is something that a lot of people might even be navigating for the first time around about now with everything yeah. that's been going on or have experienced some pretty crazy curveballs in the last three years. Mm -hmm. uh, as I know, businesses like ours have had to as well. Yeah. And you think, okay, reinvention time. Where can I Again. go? What can I do? How can I get <laughs> service? And, um, but that in like a micro example is even like, how am I going to reinvent doing my groceries so that this costs yes. me a couple of hundred dollars less a month and, and a whole bunch of questions. And so financial wellness is just as important as physical wellness for our overall sense of well-being. Um, yeah. And I'd love to ask how you arrived at that in your own life. Like what mm. did that look like for you and why did you want that for other people? Um, I mean, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> so for me, I'm the sort of person that in order to deal with things, I compartmentalise. Mm -hmm. So I am the classic example of I'm just going to put that issue in that box and then my relationships here and my family here and my work here. And because I love everything very defined and very controlled, and that is how I wanted life to be. I don't want messy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what I know from doing that is that that just doesn't, that's just not how life happens. If I want to, often the money uh, box will be bleeding over into the relationship blocks or the health block. 
uh, will be bleeding over into the family block and the work one will be bleeding across to the friends one. So I knew that that didn't work for me personally. So it Mm -hmm. was then looking at, well, what can I introduce into my life so that all of my life uh, starts to become uh, not just, I just didn't want resilience. I didn't want that ability to get through a crisis. I wanted that wellness. I wanted that beautiful base on which to be able to draw from. Mm. Um, Because that whole saying around, you know, you can't help someone else if your own cup's not full. Yeah. So for me, it was looking at meditation. It was a daily movement rather than really needing to spend myself with exercise. It was being really careful about um, what food I'm choosing to put in my body, not in a alarming way, but just, you know, I want it to know where it's coming from. I want it to be whole food. Uh, I want to make sure that I'm not just piling with sugar when I need an energy hit. I'm looking for somewhere else. Um, So knowing that that helped, that that approach helped me and knowing then that I had that broader base on which to uh, start to deal with all the other buckets in my life, I knew then that when it comes to finances, that's exactly what most people are doing. Mm. And if we're honest, most people are keeping finances well separate from all the other buckets because they're not used to talking about it. They don't really want to deal with it. It causes them stress and anxiety a lot of the time anyway. So I just want that sat over there. And hopefully if I do some basic things well, it'll just be okay. And I can then deal with the rest of life Mm. over here. And what I know is that just doesn't work because your finances permeates that low level stress permeates all those other parts of your life Mm. if I've ever woken up in the middle of the night it's usually a finance thing yeah it's a financial issue yeah that's the thing that really makes my tummy go ah yeah that sick feeling yeah yeah or that just low level worry which is like having that mosquito buzzing around your head you and there's nothing (laughs) you can do about it exactly Mm. it's hard to feel well and calm if you've got a mosquito buzzing around and that's what it's like if we're not attributing uh, that same care and consideration to all parts of our life as we would to our finances Mm. makes perfect sense and Mm. and so you mentioned like keeping finances to the side and like just uh-huh. hoping it's going to be okay. <laughs> Does this feed into our money stories? And and yeah, you mentioned also not wanting to talk about it. So there's obviously mm. some cultural. Um, I always, I always think of the Victorian era in yeah. England and its influence <laughs> on all of us. About it, I yes. know. In in terms of really holding us back as as people, yeah. Um, what are some of the money stories you see coming up time and again when you work with clients that are literally toxic and need addressing? Oh, so many, and uh, and it's interesting. Some of the ones that we think are okay that are actually problematic. Mm-hmm. So even things like all oh, debts bad. You know, if you have debt. It, it, that's problematic. Mm, or, like that hyper-conservative mindset. Hyper-conservative, mm-hmm. yeah. I, yeah. I can't have any. So, therefore, you can't leverage. Uh, you, If you've got a mortgage, you just want to pay that off to the exclusion of all else rather than also invest. So mm. it seems like it can be helpful, but actually it could be something holding you back. Or it might be a money story, and I see this a lot around, in order to get ahead, I just need to work hard. I mm-hmm. need to work really hard. My husband had this one. And it means that 
yes, you could work hard, but you might not be investing. Uh, you might not be doing the right things financially and then be so frustrated because other people that you think are doing less than you are getting ahead financially mm-hmm. and you're, but you're working hard. So therefore <laughs> you should be, you should be doing well as well. Or it could lead to bre- to burnout um, yeah. or more because all you're doing is working hard and you're also not investing or being smart and strategic um, and of course, there's so many we've picked up around, you know, whether it's the roles of of men and women and what we should be doing with with money. Uh, Starling Bank Research did a beautiful uh, research piece around this, um, and found that the media, most of the stories when they're talking to men, the media is saying money makes you more of a man. So if you're a man, you mm. might have picked up that story around. Well, in order to be a man. I actually need to take charge and have the finances and I have to earn more than my partner. If you're a woman, more than three quarters of the articles are that we need to cut back and that we need to be more frugal. Mm-hmm. So therefore, oh, wow. all yeah. you're thinking about, and also if the guys read that article, they're like, well, you're clearly spending uh, and I maybe need to hide that. That might be a shameful thing. And I'm not thinking about going and finding more investment streams or investing. All I'm thinking about is cutting back. Mm, So you can see that there's just like layer upon layer upon layer, whether it's cultural, media, PR, or from the Victorian issue, (laughs) from the Victorian era, where we've picked up these messages that just aren't serving us. Not at all. And mm. something I find really interesting, you mentioned the the frugality aspect. And look, I'm yes. a big fan of frugal eats because often yeah. the win-win is spending less on food, being more clever, and yep. of course, wasting less food, which is Agreed. a huge source of emissions. So mm-hmm. I think frugal can be like a, an ugly word that it doesn't always need to be. But as I was hearing you talk about that difference in messaging with finances, women, men, mm. I notice women feel the need to use the words sneak and steal yeah. and yeah. Um, take a little bit where I can. But I did this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes up as an example so often. It was just with my business coaching group last week and we were mm. talking about being more unapologetic in our communications when we have something genuinely important to share with people. Yep. And I shared the example of the time that I ran a Republica coffee giveaway. Mm. And I said, just let me know when your favorite time for a a gorgeous cup of coffee is like, what does that scene look like for you? And we'll draw it out of a hat. Mm. I had 400 entries, 398 of the entries Mm. used the words sneak and steal in their paragraph how fascinating is that wow yeah it's a luxury or this is my time or time yeah 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 that is totally giving me goosebumps right every time I tell it I'm like this is so wrong yeah and you've just confirmed it by what you've noticed when it comes to money and it's we see it in the play out of them behavior. So I see it in the language that you're talking mm. about. We use Justin Baby to describe our business. Mm-hmm. Don't even get me started on that one. Um, but it will also be around, oh, well, I should abdicate responsibility for investing because I'm not great at that. Mm. Um, there's 
or I'll just, as you said, cut corners rather than thinking how else could I bring money in? Like what what ways could I be uh, finding more income rather than just tightening belts? So this it just plays in so many parts of our lives and it also attributes to our superannuation, mm-hmm. which in Australia and in other countries there's such a gap in Western countries between uh, males and females when it comes to retirement funds and super And it plays into that because often if women are starting businesses faster than men, for example, yet we're not paying super for ourselves because we'll want to pay for the family, we'll want to expend it on other things instead, but not on us because Mm. that's selfish. I remember Uh, back when you were my accountant many years ago, (laughs) it was the first thing you made me do. You said, I don't care whether it's 10 or 20 bucks a week, you are paying yourself something. And it made... A huge difference because that's compounding. So that's the best kind, right? Yep. And that's Um, the part that's forgotten. mm, It's mm. the compounding returns that we're missing out on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we have these money stories. And then do we conversely have the stories where if you're a woman who's done really well financially or you've got a great amount of family money that you've had the the great fortune of inheriting or if you're a guy who has identifies a male who hasn't had a huge amount of luck in the money or hasn't got themselves organized or whatever you want to call it money's mm. not looking great does this compound a weird shame story for those two groups as well absolutely so in my experience uh with clients over the years and and yes apologies for the male female it's really difficult when we're it talking is. uh gender constructs uh, and surveys when they've come in like this mm. and research. Um, but generally it's if it's a woman and that's been the experience, they'll come in and say it's this is not something I can tell my friends mm. because they either they don't understand or I don't want them to think that I'm not one of them or they'll yeah. look at me differently. And so there is that shame, that level of shame there. Mm-hmm. Or on the other hand, for guys, um, it is very much around the I just don't want people to know. So mm. it is a very similar tale, but it's also why at DV, if a woman earns more than a man, so in a typical heterosexual relationship, if the minute she goes a dollar over, she's 30% more likely to be subject to DV because sometimes mm. that frustration. Domestic violence. Domestic for violence. Who, yeah, don't yeah. that one. So that frustration comes and that shame comes out in physical violence. Wow. And that statistic for me is horrifying. But if we don't know these statistics, if we don't know where that that feeling comes from, that emotion, that shame, if we don't know the money stories we're carrying and how we're acting them out, Mm. then it's impossible to do anything about them other than just perpetuating this stereotype and these and these myths and these norms. Mm. And have you seen couples do specific work on finances and come out the other side healthier and more yeah. relaxed about the other person's situation? Absolutely. And mm. certainly when you're looking at your money story. So uh, generally couple uh, money is the number one thing couples fight about. Yeah. It's a, a massive teller of divorce. Uh, mm-hmm. So often that's a big predictor of divorce. Um, and it also is something where we just, if we're fighting about something, we're not going to want to bring it up because it's a source of tension. So talking about money stories, suddenly you're coming from a place of curiosity, not judgment, because you generally want to understand 
So tell me about what money was like for you growing up. There's no judgment in that. Mm. And then when that's explained, then the then you can reciprocate with yours. And so often there'll be that, oh, I had no idea. And usually almost always it follows with, and that explains so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being able to sit next to someone in a money conversation rather than sitting opposite combatively yes. can be enormous because then when something comes up, you have a new language to say, yeah, but don't forget this is potentially why I'm behaving like this or this is potentially why you're behaving like this. So knowing that now, what can we do differently? Mm. And it's the same with money types as well. It creates a whole new language around you as a couple or for you as a couple so that you can do money differently. And I've seen it time and time again where a couple will say, I just thought they did money badly. Mm. I didn't realise that that was the story that they held. Or I just thought they were wrong. I didn't realise that this is how I grew up and the money story I'd inherited. And actually it's not right. It's not appropriate. Mm. And this now gives us the opportunity to rewrite what we want together that money story to be and to pass that legacy onto our kids should we choose to have them. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's funny, a girlfriend told me that her husband and her had been to counselling recently and she was sharing how that went and what they talked about in the initial sessions and they thought they were going because they had communication issues. Mm. Uh, But actually the counsellor addressed and uncovered and addressed finances as the very most important thing for them both to be talking about to move forward. And they were both shocked because they didn't even realise that that was a big issue for them. And yet it has transformed their relationship because they've worked on that. And I think anything remotely psychologically related uh, where we inherit so many stories Uh, and we never have the chance to explore uh, and yep. uh, inspect mm-hmm. and question at yep. any point in our schooling. No. And then we just no. perpetuate the whole thing again. Yep. Uh, you have to be really lucky to actually disband those stories. Natu- like, you know, um, yeah. it, it's almost the luck of the draw as to who you partner with or whether you see a psychologist or counsellor for something else and then it comes up so you mm. get to work on it. There's so many people who um, yeah. are suffering unnecessarily, I think, because it's and so taboo. You might think that as a couple you're doing money really well, but you might just both have a money story, which is actually not helpful, and you, you're pushing your finances over a cliff, but mm. you're happy. Because you know, the money story that you both had is the same. Mm-hmm. So just because you're not, it's not a form of tension doesn't mean it's not worth unpacking so that you can actually understand is this, this is potentially driving us, as mm. you said. So are we comfortable with that being the driver of our behaviour and what do we want it to be instead? Yeah, so good and and so great for people listening to be thinking, ah, this is actually something I need to work on. And exactly. And how I amazing. can work on, on it. Mm, like it's a conversation. It. It's being here. And don't we love discovering things about ourselves that we didn't know? Mm-hmm. So it's actually a nice thing to do, which when it comes to finances, often we don't think nice 
and finance belong together. <laughs> so this is a yay. gift. Exactly. <laughs> but don't we all want to say yay? Yeah, yeah. I think we do. I, mm. I genuinely think we do. We want that to, for us, for ourselves and our finances. Yeah. Um, bit of a sidestep here, but I have to share it because it is so related, mm. is the idea around just going through life and then having moments where we understand a huge part about ourselves in an unexpected way that it comes to the fore. For me, it was rescue a dog, get an ADHD diagnosis via dog depression. Uh, you know, Very like, obvious. Who saw that there? coming? <laughs> who saw that coming? But do you know, like in actually unpacking that, it has actually helped me understand uh, some of my financial uh, challenges oh, yes. over my life, having mm-hmm. ADHD. It's a huge group of people with a huge challenge around like the late fees, Mel. Oh, my God, I can't tell you. Yes. Because admin and me were not friends. Direct yes. debit saved me thousands yep. of dollars a year because I just yeah. never could do admin. I've never been able to. Yep. And so I think... Um, it can be scary to address things that you haven't talked about before or that actually have been a burning challenge for you. But in addressing the things we don't say, I think is where the real power is to grow um, rapidly and come out the other side stronger, understanding each other better, whether it's a friend, a partner, a parent, a kid. Um, so yeah, get those money stories out people and let's, uh, let's examine. Mm. And I love that you had the wherewithal to go, oh my gosh, this is my diagnosis. And look at how this permeates in all parts of my life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So important. Huge. Mm. So, okay. Getting, um, getting into the money story around debt, because you brought Mm. that up before. And I think this is an interesting one, especially for the more conservative upbringings among us that might be listening, where you think literally all kind of debt is awful and you must get out of it straight away and you must pay down that mortgage, as you said, at the expense of all other avenues. Mm. Um, There's obviously different types of debt though, right? Yeah. So most people say there's three. I think there's four. I think I'm just a high achiever. So I just want more. (laughs) Uh, So there's four different types of debt, really freaking awful, bad, okay, and good. Uh Um, And for some people, they'll hear me say, okay, and good and just think, oh, no, well, that that's not true. And just, just be aware if that's you, because that will be your money story coming Mm. in. So to be curious, just even now start to question why that is. But really freaking awful debt are things like payday loans and those cute little ads that you hear um, advertise where it's, you know, if you need some quick money fast, here's a way to get $2,000 or $5,000. Oh, I've seen that. And you can basically get your pay early. So the payday ones that you can get your pay early, yeah. the get $2,000 fast are just a really high interest. Oh, uh, but quick high interest loan kind of situation. Got it. Mm-hmm. But they will sell them as a low interest. They'll only tell you the interest rate for the period of time you're getting it for, and they'll encourage it to be like a 30-day loan or something like that. So mm. for one of them that I looked at, it was 68% interest oh when I did the maths. Oh, yes. But they're not going to advertise that. Like horrific. Um, So that's freaking awful debt. We never want that. Mm -mm. Um, Bad debt are credit cards and afterpay and buy now, pay later and personal loans for assets that are going to go down in value. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, okay debt are student loans where it's less than CPI, so your consumer price index and mortgages. Um, and good debt, yes, there is good debt, is debt for investments or assets that are going to go up in value or are going to give you an income stream. Mm. So maybe an investment property or shares or a business are three really common examples. Mm. And it's it, there is quite literally a delineation where you do not want bad debt or freaking awful debt. So we want to get mm-hmm. rid of those as fast as we can. And we kind of want to get a bit comfortable with okay and good debt. Okay, cool. Mm. And, and so... That means then, well, business though, there's probably more risky and less risky options in that one. Can you unpack that yes. one a little bit more? Because so, like it would be way less risky to buy a dry cleaning business that's running well and got tons of customers in a busy foot traffic area where you maybe need to just revamp the website and, yes. um, you know, provide better service up the prices. Like that would be a great debt. Um, but then like, I don't know. I just want to start a business. That's <laughs> a lot of people that do that as well. There is a lot of people that do that. have the building blocks to get that happening. Yeah. So that's a great point. So with any, and it's true of them with any, with any of them. So if I was getting a debt for, if I was going into debt for shares, property or business, so let's pick the three. Mm-hmm. If I'm buying shares off a tip that my best friend's dad told me, <laughs> yeah. that's not that's not good debt. No. That's scary debt. That's legalized gambling. So yeah. we don't want to be doing that. Same for property. If it's, I'm just going to keep buying, you know, four or five, six properties. I'm going to build up stacks of debt and they're all going to be in my one street. Every, you know, it's going to be super niched. Sure. That also could be problematic. And I'm making a gamble on one suburb and one street. Mm. That would be super problematic. Or business is the same. It's a difference between investing in something that you've done the strategy for, that you've done the research for, you've done the projections for, you have a business plan around versus, you know, I think I'll just borrow 50 grand off the house and start this because I think it's going to work. You know, I mm. love tea cozies. I'm really passionate about them. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to start a tea cozy business. We've, mm. got to, we've got to do the research and the recon first before we just do it. Otherwise, everything, every type of debt could be problematic. Mm, That's it. And I often find with my business coaching students, uh, a lot of people have been had by the the internet Uh money-making entrepreneurs who literally just make money teaching people how to make money. Yeah. um, But don't actually have any business case proof themselves of having ever made any money. Uh And then people think they're just going to start an Instagram page and have a wage by the end of the year. Yeah. And really for those things where you're starting it out yourself and you haven't had experience, I'm a fan of running a small series of experiments just to see if it works without debt or with maybe a very small amount or go and find the cash and then come and run your experiments so that Mm. if it's a failed experiment, because business is often a series of experiments, um, if it's a failed experiment, then that's great. You can then go on to the next one without the baggage of that one. And if it's doing well, then it can be great. What parts of it do I want to strategically put more money into? Mm. Um, I've I've started uh, three different seven-figure businesses in three different industries. Um, one, no funding whatsoever. The second one uh, was a preschool, so it required some funding to get started, but only after we put a business case together. And the third one, which is the one I'm doing now, again, 
no funding whatsoever. Mm. And it's, you can do it. Not every business needs loans behind it. No, that's right. Absolutely. And and so when it comes to some of those really bad types of debt that you were talking about, the cash loans or um, afterpay, zip pay, all of those kinds of things, yep. um, do you advocate for just bundling it all up into a single uh, uh, sum and paying one thing off rather mm. than getting overwhelmed by all the different things? And does that harm our credit in any way by doing something like that? So the answer is it depends. And the reason Mm -hmm. I say that is because I believe finance is personal. So I'm not a fan of a blanket approach and saying this is what everyone should do because it actually depends on your predilections and what motivates you and how in debt you are and what sort of debt you've got. But let's just say I had two credit cards and some afterpay loan or some uh, buy now pay later loan. I would look at that and say, can I pay it off in 12 months? Because if I can, and if I can really cut back in other parts of my life and uh, cry and go and try and find more dollars, even do some challenges to find more income, then I might just want to simply pay them off. I mm. might either choose the one with the highest interest rate first or choose the one with the lowest balance, whichever is going to be the thing that motivates me. If it's going to take longer than 12 months to pay it off, then I might look at some options because at that point I'm going to have a lot of interest to pay. Mm. So you can do what's called a zero swap uh, credit card transfer for your credit cards where you can get 80% of the balance of your cards swapped to a zero interest card. Um, The danger for that is you've got to cut both of them up Mm. and you've got to not use them again. Then you would pay down the one with an interest rate first and automate payments to the no interest so that it's completely paid off. If that wasn't available to you, then sure, you might look at getting a personal loan with a lower interest rate. Mm -hmm. But again, it would just be automated, paid off, and do not use uh, any form of that credit again. Because it's not everyone can handle credit. Mm. I would argue that 90% of us can. 10% of us absolutely can. The other 90% of us, we're overspending on it. So the research shows, even if you're someone going, oh, but Mel, I paid off every month. It's not a problem. It's not bad debt for me. Citibank came out uh, recently with research to credit cards to say you're paying 12 to 18% more. If a bank's saying that, when all of the other research says it's up to 100%, you can guarantee it's at least that. So there's your interest rate. You'll Mm. overspend just there. Uh, Afterpay, for example, uh, say that you'll overspend 40%. And that's on their website that they market to retailers to charge them the fee. So this is what people that this is what companies that sell this product say that you're overspending on it. So even mm-hmm. if you don't spend a cent on fees, that's really important to understand. Because I have a lot of people say, but I think mm-hmm. like, I think I'm okay with it. If if you were to do any of those strategies, that's not going to harm your uh your uh Sorry, I've got total standing or credit, whatever you want to call it. Your credit rating. Mm -hmm. Where it will hurt is if you did that repeatedly. So every year I I applied for another credit card or another zero interest card or another personal loan, that's then problematic in the same way that if I apply for multiple credit cards, it's problematic when there's too many applications going through. Mm -hmm. But what helps your credit card is not making late payments. Um, it's paying bills on time, paying uh, mortgages on time, paying rent on time. So 
if we're doing all of that and if we're not applying for multiple products, then our credit rating won't be harmed. Okay. That's great to know and mm. great to get that sorted because a lot of people, I mean, no, they don't where's realize. the class in school that teaches exactly. you all this stuff? Feels Plus like there so needs so. to be this little unit for the oh, HSC. I would love that. Like where can you tell? Life prep. I would right. love it for you to mm, catch it, yeah. everyone, including the kids that are leaving early. Mm-hmm. Um, life prep, it can be a term just yeah. at the end because let's be honest, you're starting to phase out then and switch off anyway. So mm, yeah. put it all in there. I'm yeah. so with you. Yeah. Uh, sign me up. Let's let's create it. God. Okay. Um, now, the next thing I wanted to ask you about was getting comfortable with um the uncomfortable so when we do Mm. actually decide to buy an asset that's going to appreciate or start investing in shares that statistically even though there are these cyclical dips the the graph does tend to go up and up uh if you look a little bit more bird's eye Mm. uh if people have felt historically really uncomfortable with any kind of debt what are some of the kinds of things that you've seen really work for people to step into good debt? Mm. So a number of things. So, And part of it I think is Malcolm Gladwell once said, uh, you can have knowledge, but if you don't have understanding, then that's problematic. So knowledge Mm. is one thing, understanding is something else. So we can have all of the head knowledge to say, yes, okay, I hear you say that not all debt's bad. I hear you say that investing for the long term is really important. Don't just pay down uh, our mortgage. But there's a difference between hearing that and actually knowing it. Mm. So for me, it would be what steps can I take in order to transfer that from head knowledge to something I feel comfortable with? So for some people, it will be taking action. Uh, So if you were looking to, if you love the idea of investing, you might uh, start really, really small. So the thing that I love about share investing is that you can start with just roundups. You can start with $20 or $1 with some apps, thanks to micro-investing. So you might start small and just start to get see how it feels for you. Start investing regularly and get your exercising muscle starting to be built in the same way that if you go to the gym, first time you do weights, you are so sore the next day, but you don't go, oh, well, that's it. Clearly that's not working for me. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Let's hope so. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> you go back again and, and eventually it just, you know, you build up to bigger and bigger weights. Mm. So I see too many people diving in and then feeling so uncomfortable and then thinking, oh, it's just not for me. When part of it is you just didn't build up. Mm-hmm. For other people, I think it's just really educating yourself. So it might be doing a, a course. It might be listening to podcasts. It might be going to events. It might be reading books, but actually becoming a student of that thing that you want to know more about. Um, because I might be interested in running a marathon or cooking or driving until I start learning about that and still like start taking lessons and actually doing it for myself, it's, again, it's going to be something that I've thought of but not done. Mm. Um, So I think building your knowledge actually starts to make it more more sense and have it feel more comfortable. Absolutely. And I can speak as someone who now knows that I have ADHD. 
it wasn't until I found a way to make investing a novel, exciting, easy and uh, zero admin um, situation that I actually started Mm. doing it. So, I mean, a big plug for these guys. I don't know how you feel about them, Mel, but I love Raise, R-A-I-Z. Yep. It's a roundup um, system and you can actually tweak your portfolio to look how you want, touch of a button Mm. really quick. Um, but I saw the success really early on. I was like, oh, God, it's just it just keeps going up. It's, uh-huh. um, uh, and it weathered the two little bumpy storms over the last couple of years as well, which I found yep. really interesting. And mm. so then a few years ago I started adding a few more dollars a week to it, like a, yep. a, my own personal physical top-up. And um, I've since created one for my son, which is his future by nice. studio apartment. Yep. One so that he doesn't end up in my position in my 40s. <laughs> yeah. And um, and it's just mm. been fantastic. So yeah. I think now it's impossible to say I can't find a way of investing that works for oh, me because there is something for everybody now. And technology really has helped with that. You it know, has. Raise is one of the very first ones. I actually think there's better uh, ones Ooh. now. So Anything Raze- to give a plug? Yeah, look, Raise, I don't mind. Uh, it was one of the early ones. It has Roundup. Uh, it has a monthly fee, which mm-hmm. I'm not, which I don't love, um, but it has got some great features. I'm yeah. a fan. We've actually got a comparison of uh, eight really popular investing apps. Oh, fab. Um, and I'll make sure you've got a link for that. Yes, please. Because uh, there's ones like Self Wealth, Sharesies, um, Stock Spot. There's lots of other apps that do very similar things. And depending on what you want to invest in, they mm. may be better for you. So I compare it in that uh, things like fees, uh, what you can invest in. Do you have a holder identifier number, which simply is like your investing number, which means I can take that investment with me somewhere else, mm. um, which Raise, for example, doesn't. So it's not a problem, but you would have to sell your investment if you want to yeah. go somewhere else. Um, so again, now I don't think any of these apps are problematic or what have you. It's just asking the question, which one's actually right for me? Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll give you that. Oh, yes, please. Because as you say, I was an early adopter because I was like, oh, finally, something that oh. feels easy. Yeah, the game uh, and, of fight, which is yeah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, I may need to have a look at what I'm doing that on. Thank you. Nice. You're welcome. Um, okay. And then let's talk property because mm. culturally Property's I feel harder. like in yeah. Australia oh. there's that, like, heaviness around needing to own a home and, like, yes. If you have a really healthy share portfolio but not a home, people still feel really worried for you, kind of like yes. women with no kids. Yep. And it's like they yep. just seem obsessed with asking you when that's going to be happening for you. And uh-huh. and so yeah. why, why and what can we do about making more people feel comfortable with finding ways mm. to build wealth that sit with them and make sense to them and have diversity, i.e. like maybe you just want some property in a larger investment portfolio yeah. um, as an option for you. And this is, again, where it's getting comfortable with that notion of, you know, you you might have thought, I just don't know that owning a home is right for me, but everyone's pushing it on me, so fine, I'll look into it. But it feels like an itchy jacket for you. Mm-hmm. But it's And that's where I really believe that finance is personal. And the problem is because so much, we're not talking about it and we operate from default, 
So, and default is you leave home, you buy a home, you, you know, you get married, you have kids, you, you know, there's just a path that we follow. And that path is just being obliterated now, which I love. Mm. Um, but it then means that we're left with very low financial literacy because we're not talking about it and we're not teaching it at school. So we therefore don't know what paths are available to us. So again, this for me is an education piece where mm-hmm. it is learning and finding that education that you didn't have so that you can discover what's actually right for me. And with property, there's something called rent vesting, mm-hmm. which is exactly what you described, where I might not own the property that I'm in, but I might own an investment property. Yeah. And that might be a much better option for me because either the area I want to live in is far too expensive or it's not really, I'm not getting capital growth there, or I don't know where I want to end up, mm. but I want access to property. Um, or I think there's better areas to invest. So there's, or the amount I would need to buy the home, I could do it, but then I'd have nothing left to invest with. There's so many reasons why you might not. But there's also listed property trusts where I could buy uh, into what's essentially a whole lot of commercial properties or retail properties mm-hmm. rather than the physicality of, ugh, I have to own a place and then I have to look at maintenance and I just don't want to worry about that. And most people aren't aware that there's so many different options. Yeah. So, again, it's that education piece, I believe, around understanding what is available and then figuring out what's actually right for me, knowing that we want diversification. And if there's one thing that is important to understand, it's, it doesn't matter what you invest in, but we want it to have diversification. Mm. And what I mean by that is you want property, uh, but not just whatever that looks like for you. But we yeah. don't just want our home and then a property in the same suburb you know, as their investment property. There's no mm. diversification there. We definitely want ex- exposure to the share market, um, even though Australians generally see that as legalised gambling. I mm. see the share market as a great equaliser. And you mm-hmm. need a dollar to invest in that versus hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially to invest in property. Um, and then business or gold or precious metals or bonds, like there's so many other things we can layer onto it. But if all our tunnel vision is home and maybe an investment property, that then means we're so limited mm-hmm. in options. So yeah. it's being aware and getting education to figure out what else is available to me. Mm. It's so interesting, Mel, because as you know, Lotox Life covers so broad a topic base, food, body, home, mind, planet. Uh And, And so I have all sorts of guests on talking about all sorts of things, but if I could give you the one thing that everything always comes back to, it's diversity Mm. equals health. Yes. Diversity of gut microbiome, diversity of people living in a society, diversity of investment. Like I could just rattle off 20 different examples. Diversity is key to health and prosperity. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And 100% with with your finances, most definitely. Diversity in income streams, diversity in investments, uh, even diversity in opinions so that you're not just mm-hmm. you know, reading from the one as songbook. It's it's making sure that there's diversity. Yeah, yeah. I love that. It's mm. fascinating. I know, right? 
Hmm. Ah, we could do with a bit of diversity in a few areas of this world at the moment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, and yeah, then says sort of black and white and polarisation and all eggs in one basket yeah. is literally the opposite of health. Yes. Yeah. And the mm. risk for that, so yeah. it's just enormous in the Massive. same way with health. So. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So fascinating. Okay. Um, perhaps a less fascinating topic for people. <laughs> Is budgets the B word? <laughs> oh, come on. No, it's a horrible topic. Where is the sexiness in a budget? There's none. Okay, uh, great. So, yeah, the end. So, I believe in budgets for business. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's really important, especially if we want to look at, because in business, it's really important to look at every single dollar. And we can mm. with a different lens and we can personally. Mm-hmm. But budgets don't work in the same way that diets don't work. Mm-hmm. They're super restrictive. They work for a period in life. And what happens at the end is you bust out and spend more than perhaps you would have during that whole period. Mm-hmm. So instead, I'm the same that I would uh, with food as I would uh, with money. So with food, I want to eat mindfully. I want to be aware where my foods come from. I want to have it as close to the source as possible, be ethical, et cetera. Yeah. The same with my money. I want to be aware of where my money is being spent. I want to be aware of where my money is being invested, but I want to spend and save consciously as well. Mm. And so for me, that simply means how we're able to do that is multiple bank accounts because it's really hard to spend and save and live consciously when we're trying to keep everything in our brains to think right to that one have figure I, in yeah. the one account yeah have I put money aside from that am I keeping money aside for car insurance which is due in nine months so definitely a bills account definitely a savings account a buffer account with a few months worth of uh, fixed expenses in there And then you eat from the last account, so the everyday Mm. account. And the idea is when that's gone, you do what you did when you were at university or when you first uh, started work and you go and raid the cupboard. Mm. You make do or you say no to things. And we don't do that for ourselves. It's almost we've hit that point where we think, but I deserve this. I shouldn't have to do that anymore. Well, actually, in in life, sometimes you should. just having this whole, but I, I should be able to do everything. I don't think it's healthy for us uh, when it comes to our health. And I don't think it's healthy for us financially as well. Um, so having that, having that approach is really helpful instead of having a budget, but you also might add in a spending app for a while so that you've got insight over your spending. I'm a fan of every month looking back over how you've spent for the last month and asking Mm. the question, does this line up with my values? If I had a good friend looking over my shoulder, would I feel comfortable saying, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I've spent? Um, And it's not just a judgment thing. It's a, am I am I spending in alignment with those things that I say are important to me? Yeah, that's a big one. And catch yourself out. Yeah. Mm. So I believe in sustainability, yet I know when I'm time poor, I'll spend not according to that. So it's pre-planning so that I don't get caught in that trap because that's that leads to shame spending. That mm-hmm. leads to secret uh, secretive spending and that then creates problems in our finances. Um, but it's also being aware of your financial environment. 
you know, in the same way that we were all working from home when COVID first happened and creating these beautiful environments for ourselves. <laughs> or messy ones. Or messy ones. <laughs> <laughs> and finding it hard to deal with that. Yeah. We want to have that same care and consideration for our money environment. Because again, for me, it's let's not be super restrictive in budgeting. Let's create environments and be in and live in such a way that it's actually there's ease. Mm. Um, so part of it is bank accounts, part of it is uh, am I spending and saving with our values? But also, uh, is my environment setting me up for success? Mm. So a lot of us are on social media. We're carrying a, a mobile shopping device around with us. It's not yeah. a phone anymore. And I spoke, I remember the first time I talked about this and a friend of mine went away and unsubscribed and unfollowed from about 400 sites. And she didn't realise she'd essentially set up a retail store and to just bombard and and sell to her every minute of the day inside her social media, which meant then her willpower was so affected. Mm. And, you know, during those times when either either there's hormones coming in or stress of life or just, you know, you've had a bad day and kids doing something and you just... The bucket of ice cream on the couch would have been way cheaper. Exactly. (laughs) Bring back the emotional eating. No, I am not advocating for that, but... I'm just making the point yeah. that like we've we've diversified in a not so great way to exactly. be exposed to so many different ways to do something that's not optimal for us. Yeah, so it's cleaning that up, mm. um, but also cleaning up our offline environments as well. So there are conversations I won't have with certain people about my business or my finances, not because I'm trying to be sneaky or secretive, mm. but just because they're uh, the energy they'll bring to that is just not helpful. Mm. Um, either they'll be negative, they'll question whether that's possible, uh, they'll, and they'll make me walk away doubting what I'm able to do or the goals that I've set for myself. So I just mm-hmm. choose not to have those conversations with them. Yeah, or we're, uh, like bad as well is when it's um, I notice the energy, you know, I've got quite a big community, it's quite mature, mm. and I'm at a, a bit of a, a moment where I'm deciding how I want to show up and serve in this next chapter Mm. And a lot of people think that they know exactly what I should be doing next. Yes. Uh, and that's also not a great energy because you can yes. then end up, especially if you're in a curious space of, of what you know, thinking about what's next, mm. um, then taking on other people's plans or ideas as your own. And yeah. and that that leads to burnout very, very quickly. I've seen it happen to so many people. Yeah. Definitely. Mm. So it's yeah. setting up those, you know, it's removing that we the toxicity from your mm. environments. So important. Mm. It's important in your physical health. It's important for your financial health. And again, you know, at the very beginning, we we talked about the fact that we don't want things to be operating in silos. Mm. So it's it's is it any wonder that there could be toxicity here if there's toxicity there? Or yeah. I've done all this all, all this effort to clean up the toxicity everywhere else. Oh, rubbish. I didn't think about my finances. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's go mop that up now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, a lot mm. of people think about their own health first. So they clean yeah. up the food, 
Then comes the personal care and cleaning. Then you might have a baby and then that whole thing Mm. changes in terms of furnishings you choose for your home, textiles you bring in. Yeah. Um, It's, yeah, finances are quite far down the bottom in terms of detoxing our lives. So Mm. I just get excited when we do get to get together for a chat because it's so important. Yeah, I agree. Mm. And so how much is enough, Mel? Mm. Like how do we decide that figure is there like a neat little calculation or is it again quite a personal thing it's so interesting because if ever I ask people that often a million bucks is what's pirated back and Mm. I think that must have been on a retirement ad many years ago (laughs) many 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 years ago ago. yeah but the answer again is it depends yeah because how I want my how I want my retirement to look like could be wildly different to how you want your retirement to look like. Or even when I stop working, I want that age to be wildly different to you. Mm. Um, But the thing that I will say is I think that what everyone wants is choice. Yeah. So I think the better question, instead of asking how much is enough, is to uh, to start with how much do I want Mm. or how what do I want? Because I see too many people that either haven't asked that question, you know, what are my goals? What do I want in life? If I was to if I was to think about my next significant birthday, what would I want to hear myself say um, where they are, what they're doing financially? How is how are they being? Yeah. And then how can I get to that financially? Mm-hmm. How can I make that happen? Um, so if you don't start with what do I want, then you're just going to go default to what society thinks you should have, which you may actually be uh, actively working against because actually that's not something that's right for you. Mm. So I would start with the exercise of what do you want? Think about your next significant birthday. Make sure it's at least five years away and start with what do I want? And then work back from that to what does that mean for the next 12 months? Because if I want choice and yet I'm now deeply in, you know, credit card debt, that's no choice in that. So mm. I've got it in the next 12 months deal with that. Um, but as to ha- how much is enough when it comes to stop working, again, the answer is it depends because that might be a, bu- a bucket of money for some people. It might be income streams for other people. And certainly uh, we actually have these really cool uh, worksheets and calculators, et cetera, inside my course where you can figure that out for yourself mm-hmm. and it's looking both at when do I want to stop work but also how do I want to stop work because my husband would be very happy with a very very simple life where he really doesn't spend much money so he might actually need a really a sum of money that a lot of people might find really surprising you know he might need less than half a million bucks Um, Whereas I might want to go overseas once a year and do more. Um, Again, it's, it's, uh, it's starting with question. For me, the how much is enough almost picks apart a whole lot of other questions that we want to ask, but it's definitely something that we can get to the end of. When my, when Tony and I did this together, we know our figure around how much is enough but also we're never going to uh, we're never going to trigger that mm. because we did it as if we uh, would work to retirement. But we both know uh, that a I want I wanted the choice of stopping work at fifty, so we had mm-hmm. to then reverse engineer it to ask the question: Would we have enough for me to stop working at fifty? 
But then, again, if possible, neither of us will stop working if we're fit and healthy enough, but we want choice. Mm. And for me, that word choice is usually the thing that keeps coming up again and again. Yeah, Um, because you might hit 50 and go, well, I thought I'd get here and want to stop, but actually I've got all these ideas. I just want the choice to stop. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So it's how much is enough. It depends on what your goals are. It depends on where you are now. It depends on what sort of life you want when you stop working and when you want to stop working. Um, and then you absolutely can answer that question. For some people, it will mean needing more assets outside of their retirement funds because they want to stop work earlier. Mm-hmm. And if all you've been doing is paying off your mortgage, you might find you don't have enough, which is why investing and paying off debt is really important because mm-hmm. then we have choice. Yeah. Um, but it also might mean looking at your retirement funds and figuring out a plan for that because it's simply not enough. But Mm. once you know that figure, then again, there comes choice because you can then choose what you're going to do to impact that. Yeah, big time. And I'd say, like, would it be wise if you're in a relationship and you have really different ideas of what retirement looks like, age, amounts, that that could actually be really great to spend time I'd probably say with a financial advisor, but also with a counsellor to make sure the emotional (laughs) and practical aspects of that dissonance are dealt with, right? Yeah. So I would have a talk to your partner first because you might find that you feel very comfortable with your plan. Mm. You're you're older. You want to finish earlier. I don't. You're comfortable with that. So let's make sure you can finish sooner. I'll keep going and then we'll end up together at this point not working. But if there's tension there, absolutely, that's where I, and if you can't sit down and do these exercises together because of the tension, that might be where you have it there. I would go to a therapist before a financial planner. Yeah. Simply yeah. because you want to unpack, you need to, to have that plan together because a financial plan is going to say to you, so what do you want? Mm. And if when do you want to stop working? And if you can't answer that. Yeah, you've got to do that work first. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Otherwise, that's a very expensive appointment. It's a really expensive um, <laughs> appointment. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so if we were to think about financial um, strength, abundance, resilience, mm. like kind of something in the middle of all of those, because I think they all have um uh meaning and weight mm. and different weight for different people what does a a program look like i mean you know you think of uh scott pate taught us our money dates and a few people have bandied about a few different things about how it should look i suspect mm. you're going to give us a more bio individual answer <laughs> yeah um and how do we find a financial fitness plan if you like mm. that actually works for us um how regularly should we be um checking in on things and and making plans and, and does it actually depend on how things get better and better as we become more financially savvy yeah Uh, So I think if I relate it to fitness or if I relate it to grooming, say, Mm -hmm. so with fitness, I can't just work out for one week a year really (laughs) savagely, eight hours a day, and then think, 
tick, I've got my fitness done for the year. I'm good to do whatever I want for the other 51 weeks. Like it's Mm -hmm. laughable. Um, Same with brushing my teeth. If I just walked around for a whole day brushing my teeth, I can't then go tick, brush teeth for the year. Like I've spent the right amount of hours brushing my teeth. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. And it sounds silly, but that's what a lot of us are doing with our Mm. money is we're maybe looking at it once a year, probably not even. Uh, maybe at tax time we pull stuff out and that's when we look and then we don't look again because that's kind of that impetus or yeah. maybe when an interest rate goes up. So we, for many of us we've been, no matter what country Western in the Western world we're in, we would have been looking at it more regularly. But just like your fitness or your grooming has to be regular, your financial fitness has also got to be regular. Yeah. Uh, I think there are some things that everyone should do. And then I think it should be then up to you, you, where you are, how quickly you want to get there. And then it is very individual after that. So I think at a minimum once a year, just Mm -hmm. to ask the question, where am I? Where do I want to go? So pull out those long-term goals Mm. and ask the question, what does that mean for the next 12 months? So hubby and I do a version that's called your best year yet. So it's something that I learned uh, from an EO conference in New York many, Mm -hmm. many years ago. Uh, And we sit down on the 1st of January every year and we don't just look at finance. We look at health and spirituality and relationships, um, career. Uh, There's so many different buckets, fitness. And we ask the question, what would it mean for this to be our best year? And -hmm. then it's, so we want to do that once a year. And then we want to check in on that. So we have communication Sunday. I'm such a geek. I, I schedule everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think if it's if you've got a partner, you want to make sure that this is just another thing you're talking about. So we don't sit down and have a meeting about it. So we did it, uh, we usually do it either Sunday or a Monday morning when we go for a walk. Mm-hmm. So as we're walking, we have our phones for that particular walk and we ask the question, so where are we this week? And also, how are we going with those best year goals? And we just have it. It's usually a, a minute now around, great, we're doing it or we're not doing it. Or what do we need to do this week uh, in order to hit that? Yeah. What resources do I need to draw on to make sure yeah. that I, I move forward there? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Once a month, we have sit down and have a coffee and go, right, how do we go for the last month? Are we on track for our best year yet? Uh, and what do you need to do and what do I need to do over the next month? So that's like your next step. So mm. for us, we want to buy uh, an office for Tone this year. So Jan, no, Feb, he had to do conversation with real estate agent. I had to contact uh, one of the properties we own to see if the people in it want to buy it. Like we both had jobs to move it forward. Mm. And in March, again, we'll split, we'll divide and conquer. So it's not just on one person. Um, And we both feel like we're contributing because it's really easy for me just to grab it all and say, I'll do it. But I want him to have agency and he wants to be involved as Mm. well. Especially when one person in the partnership is more strong on a certain area. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, And then it's up to you whether you add in a quarterly. So I'll do it with business, but I won't uh, necessarily do it with my finances. Uh, where quarterly it might be asked, so how am I going? How did I go for the last 90 days? Because 90 days is a really beautiful amount of time to go. Uh, I've 
I could have made quite a bit of change, uh, but it's enough time uh, to pass to see that change happen. But mm-hmm. it's not so far that you can't pick up or that you can't catch back up. Yeah. Um, so daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and annually is kind of my momentum. Um, but for you, it might be, I would absolutely recommend annual and recommend monthly. Yeah. And then if you want to throw in the weekly and the quarterly, then perfect. Mm. But again, it depends how how much you emphasis you want to put on, um, but also how quickly you want to move. If, if you've got some goals that you're really excited about, then weekly might be perfect to make yeah. sure there's some momentum happening. If you're in the stage of your life where it really is just about maintenance, then quarterly rather than monthly might actually be perfect. And it's really just a check-in. Mm. Um, but monthly also means that you can look back over your bank statements, question uh, your spending and that you are these in line with my values, yada, yada. But I'm sure there are some people that are at that stage where quarterly is just perfect yeah. uh, for them. Yeah, yeah so you almost routine. flex depending on age stage goals. And yeah. I love that you said if you've got really exciting goals, weekly mm. would probably be better because the thing I've found with goals and certainly helping myself and other people through them is goals are personal and you might yep. not have told many people, which means mm-hmm. there's no big scary person holding you to account, which means yep. they can always stay in the future. And yes. that's just a big shame. Mm, exactly. Mm. Which yeah. is why doing them uh, weekly means you're taking action. You know, mm. Anyone can make a goal. But yeah. actually starting to bring that goals to li- those goals to life, that's the thing that actually takes uh, determination and willpower. You know, by the 1st of Feb, most of us have abandoned, it was a Forbes study, most of us have abandoned our New Year's resolutions because mm. they were vague. They're in the group of a raging, uh, probably a raging hangover. And <laughs> you really only just blurted them out because you thought you should. Mm. We don't want our goals to be there. So having that system to support it. But I'm also a fan, so uh, there are extra habits that you might do. There's extra things that you might do depending on your money type, depending on your money story, depending on where you are. And, again, it's just it's age and stage. It's uh, it's how important are they. It's, you know, I bet you more people are looking at their, their finances more regularly at the moment because cost of living is going up. Mm. Interest rates are going up. We need to understand what our groceries are costing us each week. So you might be just doing a check-in on how much did I spend on food at the moment to make sure that you're making wise choices and that you can really drill down. And it's that thing where where your focus is, often that's where the change will happen. Yeah. So you can be as micro as that when it comes to what you're looking at in in your catch-up with either yourself or your partner. Mm. And can I ask one final question, Mel, yeah. about kids mm. and uh, and getting them set for life without being, uh, without dominating them or like yeah. just making them do something even if they don't want to do it. How do we get kids excited about the future when it's going to be potentially another couple of decades before they even have a prefrontal cortex? Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I make my son save 10% of everything and we sit down every week and we make sure he's done that Mm -hmm. uh, so that he can see that happening. 
But I have like a question then around, should we be doing that in one of those investment top-up accounts? So he's also getting the benefit of seeing the magic of compounding really early in his life, um, rather than just having it sit there in his Spriggy account, never changing, right? Or having that understanding uh, that your shares can go backwards mm. and having that experience as yeah. a eight or nine or a 15 year old so that they that then there's language and emotion around that and you can talk through well this is normal mm. uh shares go up or down as if we're not pulling them out then it doesn't matter and then by the time they're ready to properly invest they've already their risk profile is so different to what it might have been otherwise because you've taken them through that. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to kids, what well, so understand that the money stories that you hold, they are already forming and holding money stories themselves. Mm. And if you're someone that is saying it's not polite to talk about money and we want to really shield this from the kids, they're making up their own mind. And maybe their money stories around it's not to be talked about, it's shameful, it's secretive. Yeah. And when uh, when my parents or parent talks about it, they cry or it's or they're angry. So they're going to be putting emotions, they're going to be making up their own minds, regardless of whether you say something. So you may as well say something. Mm-hmm. So to talk about money, it might be at a dinner conversation once a month. Um, and start to have language around. You might not tell them everything you do, but you might say, I'm not sure if you realise this, but thanks to uh, something called CPI, groceries are going up. Used to cost us X, now it costs us Y. So mm. we're going to have a challenge next month around, can we make meals that cost this? Or, mm. hey, kids, what are three ways do you think we could save on groceries? And I tell you what, you're going to be surprised at what they bring forward as well because uh, they're going to think differently than you and they're going to f- suddenly have agency around, oh, my gosh, I'm contributing to the family. Like, yeah. That's a beautiful gift you're giving them. But also it might be with some, you know, gaming is so huge with kids, so gamify it. It might be that you put a chart up. Um, I would do it digitally where possible because I don't believe kids are, are potentially going to be looking at using a lot of physical money older. Mm. Uh, so you may as well get them used to it now. Um, so using some sort of app uh, or there are free resources like the ASX or the Australian share market uh, game where you can play with essentially monopoly money for free and it gamifies where it compares you to anyone else around the country. And that way it's a beautiful way to learn about shares without actually having to spend any Mm. physical money. So there's lots of ways you can do it. Um, But the one thing I would say is include them because if you don't, they're already starting to figure this out for themselves in a way that, you know how you felt when mm. as a 40-year-old didn't have that and your kids aren't necessarily getting financial education at school still. Mm. So starting to have those conversations now, you're going to start to bridge that gap for them early. Yeah, I love it. Oh, my gosh, so many pearls of wisdom as always, Mel. Thank you so much for joining us on the show again. Oh, you're so welcome. Uh, and and here's to people uh increasing their diversity when yes uh wealth building it's uh, such a great message that keeps coming back around again and again regardless of the topic and i love that wealth and finances have been added to it as well i agree i love that too 
And that is today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. A reminder, we have so many fantastic shows in our archives these days. If this particular topic was helpful to you, head over to lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast and click on the podcast directory, which gives you food, body, home, mind, and environmental health topics segmented so you can see all the shows that we've done in all of those areas and head straight to what you want. A reminder, we also have 10 fabulous e-courses that I've written with various doctors, naturopaths, health professionals, and experts over the years to support you on your low-tox journey, whether it's making daily swaps, getting ready to make babies, looking after your inflammation, you can hit the courses tab on lowtoxlife.com to explore those. And lastly, I would love to meet you on socials. Go and head over to at lowtoxlife on Instagram or find us on Facebook. It's always such a pleasure to chat and see how you guys are going when you share favorite shows and share them with your friends. I absolutely love that. A little reminder, of course, that all of our shows are not intended as medical advice. They are intended to open the minds and hearts of people and maybe help you explore something you hadn't considered yet, but please always check in with your health professional. And one last little request, if you have time to leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast, that would just mean the world to me because it helps us get out there and have other people have confidence that that thing they're considering pressing play on is absolutely worth it. I'll catch you for the next show you tune into. Thanks for joining me again. This is Alex Stewart, founder of Lotox Life.